This message was preached on June 20th, 2021 at Faith Reformed Baptist Church in Titusville, Florida. to you, O Lord, and we pray that you be with us as we continue in the uh, study and the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, and we uh, pray, Lord, that you be with us and give us light. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we are, <clears throat> are on chapter uh, 17 in the Confession, and going to try to cover the second paragraph this morning. So the question is, what assurance or guarantee do I have that I am going to persevere unto the end? The short answer to that, which we will expand when we study the paragraph, the short answer is that it is not the will of man, but the will of God that guarantees the final perseverance of the saints. So last time we saw that perseverance is necessary for salvation and that there's of course a risk that someone may think then that we are saved by perseverance or that salvation is a mixture of grace and works. So therefore it is really important to define in what in which way or in what way perseverance is necessary when we say that it is necessary and how that is accomplished so because we are not teaching a mixture of grace and works uh, or the idea that grace that the grace of God saves only to the extent that we do certain other things what guarantees the uh, perseverance of those who persevere uh, if there's any assurance, if there's any guarantee that um, those who are persevering are going to continue on to the end, where does it come from or what's the foundation for that assurance? And oh, I must say this, this is not about assurance of salvation. This, that's the uh, following chapter. This is a, a more objective thing, a more uh, theological perspective on this idea of perseverance. So let's go and read the uh, second paragraph in chapter 17 in the Confession. And it says, This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ and union with him, the oath of God, the abiding of his spirit, and the seed of God within them, and the nature of the covenant of grace, from all which ariseth also the certainty and infallibility thereof. So let's try to uh, dissect that and see what it means. The confession, as many times, starts with the uh, negative side of the answer, negative side of the doctrine. This perseverance depends not upon their own free will. So, and uh, I believe it is very important 
to say this because the authors of the confession they are replying or they are <coughs> refuting the doctrine of the Armenians and the doctrine of the official position of the Roman Catholic Church regarding the uh, doctrine of perseverance. So in those two doctrines, in the Armenian and the Roman Catholic, in both of them, it is possible to fall from the state of grace. It is possible for a person who has been truly saved to fall from the state of grace and lose his salvation. That's what they teach. They say it is possible to, to be saved and then fall. So you may wonder then what makes the difference between somebody who, is, who, who makes it and somebody who doesn't make it. Somebody who gets saved and continues and, and finally makes it to heaven and somebody who gets saved and, and falls and loses his salvation. What makes the difference? They say the will of man. That's what they say. Free will. That's what makes the difference. So it depends, they say, on the will of man. And therefore the only assurance or guarantee that I have that I'm going to persevere in those two doctrines is my human determination to continue in the faith. That's what they teach. Of course, that doesn't mean that they don't believe that God preserves or that God guards his people by his grace. What they don't believe is that he does it in an infallible way. They don't believe that God does it in a, a way that is irresistible. They don't believe in irresistible grace. So the idea then for the Armenian and, and the uh, Roman Catholic is that God is going to do everything that he can to preserve his people. But in the end, he's going to respect your decision, your free will. And the, the will of man is finally going to be something sacred and untouchable. God cannot touch it. He's going to respect your decision. So the first thing then that the authors of the confession do is tell us it's not by the will of man. It's not by the will of men. But by all these other things that we are going to see, and they all come from God. So the will is there. And it is exercised by the believer. But we are, we are not teaching that God turns people into robots or puppets. or Because that's the accusation always. The will of man, we believe that the will of man is real. And that it has an important, very important role in our perseverance. We believe that. But we here in Reformed theology, and I believe this is the biblical teaching, <clears throat> we don't put the will of man on a pedestal to worship the will of man. as something untouchable, like they say. The Bible says that everything that God does, he does it for his glory. Not to glorify the will of man. Not to glorify free will. Because in the Armenian theology, everything finally boils down to that. If I persevere unto the end and make it to heaven, why then should I give all the glory to God for my salvation? That's how I see it. They don't say it that way. But 
when I consider the words that they say, the doctrine that they teach, I say, well, if I if I make it to the kingdom of heaven, why should I give all the glory to God for my salvation if I was the one who made the difference, right? I remember many, many, many years ago, I, a pastor, we, I was talking with a pastor who was, you know, Armenian and about the doctrine of election and, and he told me, well, I, all I know is this, is that I'm, I'm, I am a Christian and, 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 and it all depends on my decision. And I am the one who says, you know, uh, if I'm going to, I want to leave the, uh, the faith, I leave the faith and everything, everything depends on my will. And I said, well, I believe the will is important, but I think it's, you know, there are other things. We believe that it was God who made the difference. And he is the one who deserves the glory. And he, and that the will is subject to God. Free will is subject, subject to God. It's not free from God. So the Reformed doctrine is this, what we believe and what the Bible teaches, is that the elect persevere free, freely but irresistibly. Freely but irresistibly. I don't know if that's a real word. <laughs> so the elect are going to persevere and they cannot not persevere. It is impossible for the elect not to persevere unto the end. It is impossible for an elect to apostatize from the faith and finally be lost because finally everything depends on the grace of God, right? What does Philippians 2.13 says? It says, for it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He works both. So it is not man who in his regenerated will produces by the force of his free will the final perseverance needed to be saved. But rather perseverance is one of the graces provided by God, as we saw last week. But for the Roman Catholic and the Armenian, the idea, uh, 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 you know, this notion that we believe they say it is incompatible with free will. If you say that you that regenerated people cannot, it is that it is impossible for them not to persevere, then you are destroying free will. There is no free will anymore. You are no longer a free being who freely loves God. You are being forced by God to love him and to serve him and to persevere, and you no longer have a free will. That's what they say. However, and I, this has always intrigued me, okay, that both the Armenian and the Roman Catholic, both of them, they believe that in the state of glorification, it will be impossible for the elect to sin anymore. Both of them believe. You ask an Armenian, then when you make it to heaven, is it going to be impossible for you to sin, yes or no? And they're going to say, no. You, I, I mean, yes, it is going to be impossible for you to sin. It is going to be impossible for you to fall. And then you ask, do, are you going to have free will in heaven? They're going to say, yes. And then, well, how come it's not incompatible then in, 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 in heaven? It is only incompatible for them in, in the state of regeneration, but not in the state of glorification. 
Well, in glorification, God produces a change in his elect that makes it impossible for them not to persevere for all eternity. All the saints are going to persevere for all eternity in his glory. Nobody's going to say one day, you know what? I don't want to be here anymore. Right? Everybody believes that. Everybody agrees on that. Well, we say, but God does the same thing in this state of regeneration. At a different level, but he does the same thing. If it's possible for God to do it, right? In the state of glorification, it is possible for him to do it in the state of regeneration. The most free being that exists is God. And it is impossible for God to sin. And he continues to be free. It is impossible for him to lie. It is impossible for him to to do anything that is wrong. But somehow, if we say that the elect in the state of regeneration cannot fall, that it is impossible for them not to persevere, then they say, well, you are not free anymore. Well, yes, we are free. We have been made free from the bondage of sin by God of the moment of regeneration. And that's the clear teaching of the Bible. And that is not incompatible with real freedom. So the fact that it is God who assures and who guarantees our final perseverance is in perfect harmony with the doctrine of the free will of man. In perfect harmony. God works through our our free will as we read in Philippians. Only God can exercise uh, an irresistible power that at the same time is non-coercive. Right? Nobody else can do that. How can you make somebody do something that he's not inclined to do? Well, you may try persuasion. Right? First. If persuasion doesn't work, then you may try coercion. Right? Well, God never has to use coercion. Because he works both the will and to do of his good pleasure. Because he can make the will free from the bondage of sin. And everybody who has children, they know this. You know, you children are not inclined many times or all the time to obey. You know, you say, well, eat your vegetables. No, I don't want to. Oh, I want to eat my vegetables. You may try persuasion first, right? You're going to grow up. You're going to be strong. You're going to be like Superman. You know, you're going to have, you know, all persuasion. And then when persuasion doesn't work, you try coercion. They know this are for you. Or, or you are, whatever. Other threat. <clears throat> and you may achieve what you want by that. What you cannot do is you cannot... Free your child from his disobedience. You cannot free his will from the power of disobedience. Well, God can do that. God can. He can do it and he does it. God can exert an irresistible power without doing violence to the will of his creatures. How? By giving them a new heart. And by putting putting, uh, his spirit in them 
And when God does that, then He guarantees that His elect are going to persevere and they are going to do it freely without any coercion. And that's the first thing that the confession tells us is that it is not by the will of man but by the immutability of the decree of election. It is something that God has determined. Then, now, the confession gives us a series of truths that we can place under three categories. Three categories. The first falls under the category of the character of God. Then the second one falls under the category of the work of God. And the third one under the nature of the covenant of grace. So the first one, the character of God. God is love and God is holy. And that implies that since he is love, he cannot abandon his children. And they say in the, uh, in the uh, paragraph in the confession, it says they're flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father. So it does not depend on the will of man, but on the immutability of the decree of God, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, in John chapter 10, verses, uh, verse 29, it says, My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So God loves his sheep, and he keeps them, and he guards them, and he protects them, and nobody can pluck them out of his hand, and he is not going to let his sheep get lost. And then Paul uh, takes the same idea and applies it not to people, but to circumstances. And he says in Romans 8, verses 38 to 39, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The character of God. God is love. He loves his sheep. He's not going to let his sheep go astray. So that's one of the guarantees that we have. The love of God. And love, of course, is not a feeling. It is part of character of God that never changes. But God also, God is also holy. God is holy and he cannot lie. In promising, when he promises an eternal salvation, uh, that, you know, God doesn't promise eternal salvation that is not really eternal because it can be lost. No. He promised eternal salvation and he swore, as we are studying in the, uh, in the letter to the, to the Hebrews. And allow me to read... Uh, from Hebrews in chapter thir- uh, 6, verses 13 to 20, it says there, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless you, 
and multiply and I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Abraham. For men truly swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor to the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into that within the veil, where the forerunner is for our for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So what is he saying? It is sure because God swore by himself and he cannot lie. God cannot lie. And that's what gives us assurance. It's not our, our free will. It's that God made this promise and he loves us and he cannot lie because he's holy. God gives us uh, this great assurance by swearing by himself. And our assurance of perseverance is anchored on his character, on his holy character. And he swore by himself. He put his reputation into play. And the greatest guarantee that we have that we will persevere, that the elect will persevere, is his character and his love. I don't know what greater assurance we can possibly have than, than the fact that God promised with an oath and that he swore by his own name. So when we say that it is necessary to persevere and that he who perseveres shall be saved, we should not see the will of man as the determining factor, but only as one of those components that are necessary. One of the many components. It is the character of God that gives me the assurance that nothing can separate me from his love. And that I'm going to continue on to the end. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses uh, 12 to 13, we read, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he stays faithful, he cannot deny himself. In at first sight, you know, the first verse sounds like a threat, right? If we deny him, then he will deny us. But the Bible teaches that those who apostatize from the faith are those who never believed to begin with, who are ne never truly believers. They are those to whom Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. But then this verse, verse 12, I mean, verse 13, where it says, If we believe not, yet he, yet he stays faithful, he cannot deny himself. That there are times when our faith is weak. It's not that we don't believe. It's there are times when our faith, like, sinks down. And we need, you know, we have this assurance that God continues to be faithful. He cannot deny himself. If you are a true believer, if you are not, he says, well, if you deny God, God will deny you. But if you are one of the elect, if you are a true believer, even when your faith is weak, 
God doesn't want your faith to be weak. But even when your faith is weak, there is this assurance he cannot deny himself. Because the assurance rests on the character of God. But also our perseverance depends not only on the immutability of his decree, but on the character of on the holy character of God and his love, but also on the works of God, on the works of God. And they continue to say in paragraph two, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ and union with him, the oath of God, the abiding of his spirit and the seed of God within them. So as we can see here, they they are developing this paragraph in a way that it's the Trinity. They're putting the Trinity here. The Father chooses, the Son accomplishes and intercedes, and the Spirit seals and inhabits the believer. That's the same flow of thought that the Apostle Paul uses in his introduction to the, to the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 1. He says, blessed be the God the Father, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, according as he has what? According as he has chosen us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Then the apostle continues presenting all the works of Jesus, which are summarized in verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And then he continues with the work of the Holy Spirit. In whom you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Well, the, author, uh, the authors of the confession in the second paragraph, they follow the same pattern. And as you can see here in Ephesians, they, the Apostle Paul, he doesn't say anything about the will of man in all this. Nothing. The Father starts with the Father, with election, with his decree, then continues with the work of Jesus, the work that he did on the cross, the work that he continues to do as our high priest, and then the work of the Holy Spirit, sealing the believers and indwelling the believers so that we may persevere. And finally, then, the authors of the confession bring us, they bring us to the nature of the covenant of grace. The nature of the covenant of grace. They say, and the nature of the covenant of grace, from all which arises also the certainty and infallibility thereof. So the salvation offered by God, the salvation that we enjoy is part of this covenant. It is in the context context of this covenant that we call we call the covenant of grace the covenant of grace that unites god and man in this eternal covenant and this covenant of course of course requires perseverance 
for men to be in it eternally. But that perseverance is not is not a requirement, something that God requires from us. It's one of the provisions of the covenant. It is provided for us by God in the covenant. That's what they say. It is, you know, is by the nature of the covenant. Let me read it to you from Jeremiah. And maybe you are thinking about Jeremiah 31. No, it's in Jeremiah 32, verse 40. And he says, And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. That's what God promises, right? He doesn't say, I'm going to make my covenant with you. And if you continue and if you persevere by your own free will, by your own determination, by your own power that I cannot touch, then you will go, no. He says, this is my covenant. I'm going to put my fear in your heart so that you continue. It is part of what God offers in this covenant of grace. So this covenant is an eternal covenant and those who are included in the covenant will continue in it forever. Why? Because God will put his fear in their hearts that we should not depart from him or that the elect should not depart from him. So the covenant is unconditional and also it is monergistic. Right? It is not based on the condition that we have to put something in it. And it is monergistic in the sense, you know, monergy against synergy. It's not it's not two two energies combined. It is not, you know, God effort and my effort combined to do something better. No, it is monergistic. It is God who is doing the work. God is doing the work. It is not a combined effort. So we see then the great difference between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. In the covenant of works, as it is presented in the law, there were conditions. It depended on what? On, on obedience. It depended, depended on works. And nobody could be saved by that, by that covenant. It was, it was impossible to be saved under the conditions or under, under the terms of the covenant of works. It, it was impossible to be saved. But on the other hand, in the new covenant, it is the opposite. It is impossible for those who are in it not to be saved. Because it is God who provides everything that we need. The Apostle Paul says... If God already gave his son, how, is, how isn't, isn't he going to give everything else? Everything else is included. It is by the nature of the covenant of grace. So it is not by the, by the free will of man. It is by what? The immutability of God's decree. His decree from eternity. Then by the work of Jesus on the cross on the cross, by his work as a, as, a, as a high priest, by the work of the Holy Spirit, sealing the believers and indwelling the believers, and also by the nature, by this very nature of the covenant of grace. We have to persevere because God put it there. Amen? Any questions or comments?
Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you, Lord, for this a very important lesson that it all depends on you, so that only you may receive glory. And may we never forget that, that we have to glorify you, Lord, for everything that we enjoy as believers, for all the promises that everything is for your glory. And we pray, Lord, that as we uh, continue to worship you today, this morning and this evening, that you be with us, Lord, reminding us that we are here to glorify your holy name. And we pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.